the Slaughter and May podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm Robert Chaplin, one of Slaughter and May's corporate insurance partners. With me is Beth Dobson, our insurance PSL counsel. In this podcast, we discussed the recently published proposals from the European Commission on changes to Solvency II and the introduction of a recovery and resolution directive. For more information on Solvency II, please see our Solvency II app. If you don't already have the app, please email solvency.2, that's solvency.two, at slaughteranmay.com to request access. On 22nd September, the European Commission published legislative proposals for amendments to the Solvency II Directive arising out of the 2020 Solvency II review. This is the first major review of the Directive since its implementation at the beginning of 2016 and follows on from EOPA's final opinion to the Commission on the review, which was published in December 2020. Alongside the proposals for amendments to Solvency II, the Commission has also published a legislative proposal for a new Insurance Recovery and Resolution Directive. There is currently no harmonised regime for recovery and resolution in the insurance sector, unlike for banking. It is worth noting initially what is and isn't included in the proposals. Firstly, the formal proposals for changes to the Solvency II regime only include amendments to the Level 1 Framework Directive. Proposals for amendments to the detailed Level 2 Delegated Regulation will follow. For key elements of the Level 2, the Commission has indicated that it intends to broadly follow EOPA's advice, and we will come back to these points. The stated reason for not setting out proposed changes to the Level 2 at this stage is that additional powers to make implementing regulations need to be included as part of the amendments to the Directive. It is, however, somewhat unsatisfactory that only part of the overall picture of reforms has been put forward at this stage. Secondly, the Commission has decided to introduce harmonised recovery and resolution planning requirements, but not a harmonised insurance guarantee scheme regime. The failure to introduce equivalent protections for policyholders across the EU has been criticised in some quarters, including by EOPA, and we will touch on this later. So... Looking now at some of the detail of the changes to the directive proposed by the Commission. First, the Commission is proposing a more structured approach to applying proportionality under the regime. The changes would introduce definitions of low-risk profile undertakings and low-risk profile groups and formalise the proportionality measures which should automatically apply to them. The use of proportionality measures by undertakings which are not classified as low risk will be subject to prior supervisory approval. A number of proportionality measures are proposed to be embedded into the directive, including in respect of the frequency of regular supervisory reporting, combining of key functions, exemptions from requirements to carry out climate change analysis, and draw up liquidity risk management plans and less frequent performing of the ORSA. EOPA has expressed some scepticism regarding this approach. In a press release responding to the proposals, it said that while it is pleased with the idea that low-risk insurers would be relieved of certain requirements, it is important that the proportionality principle 
is embedded in the supervisory review process to allow more flexibility in its application. EOPA commented that this would keep proportionality as a principle instead of transforming it into a set of rules. Having said this, many of the more structured proportionality measures were recommended in EOPA's opinion on the review. Second, a raft of amendments have been proposed by the Commission to the group supervision rules, many of which reflect definitional uncertainties which have arisen in practice over the past five and a half years. Central to these changes are amendments to allow group supervisors potentially to include a wider range of undertakings within the scope of group supervision. Changes include including within the group undertakings which are managed jointly with one or more undertakings that are not part of the group. Specifying that situations where an undertaking effectively exercises a dominant influence over another undertaking includes where this influence is exercised through centralised coordination over the decisions of the undertaking. Extending the scope of group supervision to situations where undertakings are, in the opinion of the supervisory authorities, managed on a unified basis. This is wider in scope than the previous test for undertakings being managed on a unified basis, which required a contractual arrangement to be in place. Extending the scope of the group to include other groups to which undertakings included within the first group on the basis of dominant influence or unified management apart. These changes will give group supervisors a greater ability to look at connections between EU insurers and other undertakings, which are based on less straightforward arrangements than simple share ownership. Other changes to group supervision rules include a tightening of the circumstances in which undertakings can be excluded from the scope of group supervision, where this would mean no Solvency II group exists at all, and a more detailed exposition of other methods which might apply to group supervision, where the ultimate parent undertaking is outside of the EU. A number of amendments have been proposed to the directive looking at high-level prudential issues. New macro-prudential requirements are proposed in the context of both the ORSA and the prudent person principle. The ORSA requirement would mean firms have to consider macro-prudential factors as part of the ORSA. Arguably, to the extent that these aspects are relevant to an undertaking, they should already be taken into account in the ORSA, although the change would mean that firms have to formally consider macro-prudential aspects in their assessment. The proposed amendments would also require undertakings to consider and analyse the activities of the undertaking, which may affect macroeconomic and financial markets developments and have the potential to turn into sources of systemic risk. Amendments to the prudent person principle would require undertakings to take account of macroeconomic issues when they decide on their investment strategy. Firms would also be required to assess the extent to which their investment strategy may affect macroeconomic and financial markets developments and have the potential to turn into a source of systemic risk and to incorporate these considerations into their investment decisions. There is clearly the potential here for tension between the interests of policyholders and shareholders and the interests of the wider economy, and it will be interesting to see how these are reconciled by insurers if the amendments are implemented. New requirements are also proposed, which would require firms to include climate change risk analysis where relevant to their business as part of the ORSA. At this stage, 
no adjustments to capital requirements to reflect the climate change risk associated with particular assets is proposed, but EOPA would be required, under a new provision in the directive, to consider whether a dedicated prudential treatment of exposures related to assets or activities associated substantially with environmental and or social objectives would be justified. Finally, the Commission proposes the introduction of a requirement for firms to draw up and maintain liquidity risk management plans projecting the incoming and outgoing cash flows in relation to their assets and liabilities. Looking at some of the more granular changes, another area which has been closely looked at by the Commission is the application of the so-called long-term guarantee measures under the regime. This has been complicated by the fact that measures in the directive are closely linked to and elaborated on in measures set out in the Level 2 Delegated Regulation and the amendments to the Level 2 have not yet been drafted. The directive sets out the principles for extrapolation of the risk-free rate structure under which the structure should be extrapolated for maturities longer than the first smoothing point up to an ultimate forward rate. The proposed amendments to the directive specify how the first smoothing point for a currency should be determined and that the extrapolation should take into account information from financial instruments other than bonds for relative maturities, where the markets for those instruments are deep, liquid and transparent. Powers are then proposed to be granted to the Commission under the directive to amend the Level 2 delegated regulation to specify the formula for the extrapolation and other factors affecting the extrapolation. The detail of this will not be set out until the proposed later consultation on the Level 2 measures, although the Commission says in its communication on the proposals that it will consider building on the formula and parameterization proposed by AOPA. The new extrapolation method will be phased in linearly over a period running to 2032. The key changes proposed to the volatility adjustment are making prior supervisory approval for the use of the volatility adjustment mandatory. This was previously a member state option, albeit one which had been implemented in the UK. Increasing the amount of the risk adjusted credit spread, which can be included in the volatility adjustment. Introducing a macro volatility adjustment element for the euro. The Commission has said that it intends to introduce a safeguard in the Level 2 delegated regulation to avoid overshooting of the volatility adjustment. It is not clear at this stage, however, how the safeguard will work. As mentioned, some of the detail of the changes to the regime will be in the Level 2 delegated regulation and the Commission has not yet put forward its proposals on these. Some further information on the likely changes is, however, set out in the Commission's communication accompanying its legislative proposals. The Commission intends to consider simplifying the conditions under which equity investments, including via infrastructure funds, would be treated as long-term, thereby attracting preferential treatment in the standard formula. The Commission anticipates that these simplifications might result in a 10.5 billion euro decrease in capital requirements for equity risk across the industry which it says can be further invested by insurers in the economy. It is not clear, however, how or whether insurers will be incentivised to invest this extra capital in the EU economy rather than returning funds to shareholders. It is worth noting that EOPA has not in general supported the preferential treatment given to long-term equity investments. 
In its opinion on the 2020 review, it commented that its analysis of relevant data did not corroborate the reduced 22% capital charge for long-term equity investments, which was introduced in March 2019. It also advised that criteria for LTE treatment should include a requirement that it applies only to a diversified LTE portfolio. The Commission communication does not mention whether this will be part of its Level 2 proposals. Changes to the risk margin to make it less volatile and less sensitive to interest rates has been one of the priorities of the insurance sector under the 2020 Review of Solvency 2. The Commission has indicated that it will develop a version of the amended risk margin formula proposed by EOPA and also, in contrast to EOPA's advice, consider reducing the cost of capital rate from 6% to 5%. For the matching adjustment, in line with EOPA's advice, the Commission intends to change the regime so that diversification benefits can be recognised between the matching adjustment portfolio and the rest of the undertaking. On the other hand, the Commission also plans to limit the benefit which can be recognised by firms where the matching adjustment portfolio contains restructured assets which depend on the performance of underlying ineligible assets. In the UK, some measures have already been introduced to similar effect. EOPA has twice advised that the interest rate risk submodule is undercalibrated. The Commission plans to adjust the capital requirement for interest rate risk in the standard formula to reflect recent experience of a low interest rate environment. Alongside the amendments to the Solvency II Directive, the Commission has published a proposal for a new Recovery and Resolution Directive for insurers. This would apply to, broadly, all re-insurance undertakings established in the EU, which are within scope of Solvency II. Insurance holding companies and mixed financial holding companies established in the EU and EU branches of non-EU re-insurance undertakings the directive would introduce requirements for insurers to develop preemptive recovery plans and for supervisory authorities to develop resolution plans in respect of insurance undertakings supervised by them. Supervisory authorities can decide which undertakings are subject to the recovery and resolution planning requirements, but at least 80% of a member state's life, non-life and reinsurance market respectively must be subject to preemptive recovery planning and 70% of each market must be subject to resolution planning. The directive would also specify the conditions for supervisory authorities to apply resolution tools and the resolution tools which they must have at their disposal. Resolution tools should include, among other things, write-down or conversion of capital instruments, debt instruments and other eligible liabilities, withdrawal of authorization to write new business, sale of all or part of an undertaking's business, a temporary moratorium on payment of claims under insurance policies, and stays on the redemption rights of policyholders in relation to life insurance contracts. Consumer groups have expressed concern that the resolution tools will include the ability to reduce the principal amount of all claims, including insurance claims, where these are transferred or restructured as part of another approach to resolution, such as the sale of the business. Among other things, this would put policyholders at a disadvantage to secured creditors, since secured liabilities are not subject to the write-down mechanic. The draft directive does provide that no shareholder or creditor should incur greater losses than they would have incurred under a winding up.
Since insurance claims are prioritised on the winding up of an insurer, it seems likely that the write down of insurance claims will be a matter of last resort. Finally, the Commission has concluded that action to align rules for insurance guarantee schemes is not appropriate at this juncture, given the economic uncertainties created by the COVID pandemic and the need to focus on economic recovery. This decision has been criticised by EOPA since the current fragmentation means that policyholders receive different levels of protection in the event of an insurer's failure, depending on where they are resident within the EU. It is also a somewhat surprising decision, since as far back as 2010, the Commission recommended in a white paper, which was not taken forward, that a harmonised regime for insurance guarantee schemes should be introduced. In the UK, insurance policies taken out by consumers are protected by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. Most, but not all, EU member states have developed insurance guarantee schemes, but these differ in scope and design, hence the need, arguably, for harmonisation. The Commission has said it will reassess the appropriateness and timing of alignment in the future. This brings us to the end of this podcast. If you have any questions about anything we have discussed, please get in touch with either of us or your usual contact at Slaughter in May. For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.